Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. On tonight's program, amidst so much hate, we bring you poesía y música to give us energy to push forward that acknowledges the roots of resistance in culture work and also acknowledges the power we have from our antepasados and acknowledging the cultural roots of our music and the strong shoulders we stand on. We begin this program with two poems by our very own Nina Serrano to our president. We also share with you an important book on the Mission District. We close out our program focusing on Sol Tron, which is a loved mission band that brings a lot of joy in their work to highlight issues facing the Bay Area like gentrification and police brutality. And stay with us and enjoy. We, we hope to bring you un rayito de luz, un poquito de sol in these very cloudy days. We hope to bring you a little sun. You're listening to Larissa Chronicles on KPFA. Stay tuned. I wrote these two poems in response and resistance to the 45th president. Love thy neighbor. Love thy neighbor. The ones with tattoos on their necks and faces, or shaven heads, or covered by yarmulkes, turbans, hijabs, or backwards baseball caps for a team you don't like. Love thy neighbor. The wavy-haired, springy-curled, puffy-headed, shaven, bald, and straight-haired, hanging down long, or standing straight up short. The ones who moved in one gender and then changed. Help thy neighbor, whose garbage cans stay out too long, with long-neglected weeds, lowered window shades decaying and entry stairs sloping down. The single ones with noisy kids that laugh, wail, and whine. The ones with walkers, wheelchairs, and canes. Give a smile. Lend a hand to pull us all up, all up, all the rugged rainbow way up. A Love Poem to Life A goodness comes. I recognize it. It's always there, though I can't always see it. Today I saw it, glowing a soft yellow sunlight with no burn, warm light, stirring a soft breeze of pleasure. A lifting feeling in my forehead of unformed thoughts shifting, dancing, so I could check them later. But now I have only to enjoy the goodness before it flees, as suddenly it arrived. I tell it here in memory, so it will be known to me and maybe others that good exists, can be felt, then melt, receding into the storehouse of knowledge that talks inside my head and maybe yours, to guide us through the harsh wilderness and out again into the comfort zone where breath comes easily, confident that tomorrow will arrive, that love exists and loves you. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. 
My guest in the KPFA studios is Carrie Cordova, author of The Heart of the Mission, Latino Art and Politics in San Francisco. Carrie Cordova is a native San Francisco who teaches American studies at the University of Texas in Austin. In this interesting book, Carrie brings her scholarship and her own heart to explore the history of the many changes in this beloved and creative barrio. It has lived through a lot in these last 80 years. Bienvenido, Carrie Cordova, to La Raza Chronicles. No gracias, Nina. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. I first met you when you were beginning your journey into this subject matter in 2003. That's right. I'm not sure exactly how it started, but I knew that I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to interview you as an artist, as a participant in this community. And you graciously welcomed me into your home and let me interview you for quite a good length of time, as I recall. But you were not writing this book, The Heart of the Mission. You were writing a uh, PhD thesis. That, that's right. I was in the dissertation stages at that time, and I guess give some idea of how long this work has been in progress. It was probably around 2003 that we met. So I haven't uh, been able to work on it persistently. I had to take some time off, but this has been a long time coming, and I'm really happy to finally see that it exists in book form. And it has expanded so much from an academic inquiry into a, a really full-blown love poem to the mission, I have to say, and beautifully documented how you went from poetry, mural art politics, theater, politics all over, and the history, that the mission really wasn't the first Mexican area or the first Latino area. Tell us about that. Sure. First, I just want to say thanks. I mean, when you write as an academic, sometimes I think you get caught in a lot of academic language. And I love the idea of thinking that this book exists as a love poem, because that is really also, I think, part of what shaped my trajectory is wanting to express some some love for this community and some uh, appreciation for all the people that I saw doing some really creative, amazing work. But part of learning about that community was maybe also trying to learn about earlier communities. And so in the midst of learning about 1960s Latino activism, I started to go earlier and earlier. And so I went into the 1950s and the Beats movement and started to look around and think about how Latinos participated in, in that particular moment, which led me to think about Latin jazz and also thinking about nightclubs on Broadway in San Francisco and the ways in which there were several Latin nightclubs there and then looking and really sort of unearthing a very important Latino neighborhood in San Francisco right at the base of the Broadway Tunnel now near the Our Lady of Guadalupe Church. I remember when I first came to San Francisco in 1961, going to the North Beach area precisely to enjoy the Latino community, sitting at the Basque Hotel and being served fabulous uh, dishes of food and going to see flamenco performances. Exactly. I mean, that that also was uh, sort of familiar to me. The, the Basque hotels, I sort of grew up knowing that there was a large Basque population in that area. And I also, as as you know, I mean, I, one of the stories that I love from you was talking about your migration coming to San Francisco because you were so attracted to a kind of beat counterculture and thinking about your migration. And so um, sort of thinking about what did it mean to have North Beach as the center place for that um, bohemianism and also just right adjacent to a Mexican neighborhood? Well, it was interesting because... I did come for the bohemian atmosphere, which I did try to find in North Beach, but the truth was that I lived in the Mission. I lived on Dolores Street, and where I really found a thriving bohemian culture was, in fact, in my own backyard in the Mission. 
And that was very exciting and very interesting to me reading the book because it parallels so much of my own creative life, which took place in that very setting, was reading your in-depth interviews and distillations of the others, my, my compadres that were all around me, and uh, finding the backstories. As I'd read, I'd remember these people as young people and remember our interactions. And it was interesting. Now, I, by reading your book, I found out what they were doing and what they were thinking at the precise moment that we might have been together in a cafe. And I didn't realize all of this stuff that came out in your interviews. So it, it was, in a way, memory lane, but it, it was a much bigger because it made me see all these people, you know, as the other me. You know, that I could see behind my memory what was in their head that comes out in the book. I I think if it's doing that, I mean, that, that would be fantastic. I think, I mean, even just growing up in San Francisco and, and sort of just knowing so many creative people, so many artists, so many just really fascinating people, many of whom had a really strong sense of wanting to make the world a better place. And then also having a love of art, my my mother's side of the family was all artists and uh, sort of thinking about what does it mean to be an artist in this city and what does it mean to want to both create art and to make the world a better place and and sort of trying to describe all of these people that were participating in this one place, in this city, and putting them all together, it was a little bit like puzzle pieces. It was a little bit taking from over here and taking from over there and thinking about how they all may have known each other and yet also were involved in many different separate projects. The other thing about your book that I really deeply appreciated that you rarely find anywhere in histories is what a feminist book it was. I, I felt so vindicated as I read about myself because in reality, I've, I felt at the time, and we're talking now about the 60s and the 70s and even the 80s, I, I felt like low man on the totem pole always because everything was men, men, men. And I was one of the few women that was able to be to be one of the poets even, I felt valued as I read it. And then I felt that you kind of understood that because you brought forward so many strong and talented women, the mujeres muralistas. It was a wonderful experience to read that and feel that validation from a historian because, I mean, we usually just get patriarchal history over and over even if it's supposed to be a leftist book. And speaking of leftist book, I also really appreciated your concept of the global left, that you placed what was happening in the mission in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and even right this minute fighting against the gentrification and resisting Trump, that you placed it in the global left. Could you talk about that? Um, yes, definitely. Let me first uh, just go back over and say, like, I think I am in parts a historian. I mean, my degree is in American studies, but I, as you can see, my, my work tends to be very linear. I do a lot of historical archival work. And I think as a woman, I'm always conscious of how women fall out of history. And so even when I was struggling, because it was so frustrating sometimes to even try resources about women to try to find, especially in the 40s and 50s. And so in some of my notes, I think I just say like how difficult it is to get more information about this particular person. Maybe someone else out there will take this work further. But I also think in writing the book as a woman, I always was thinking about what did it mean to be in this male space or in this female space or thinking about San Francisco and the importance of queer histories in the city and just trying to wrap my head around the many different people that can be represented in, in these narratives and that should be represented. That, and so I think that was that was part of just how I approached the project. And then thinking about the global left, 
I was struggling initially with how to describe the politics of the people that I was writing about. I, I wanted to express it in a way that wasn't simply Republican, Democrat, or some sort of binary that wasn't accurate. And much of the work that I was trying to document was about human rights. It was about simply treating other people well. It was often pacifist, though not always. And so trying to also think about the ways in which a lot of the work being done in the mission was about the neighborhood, but a lot was also about, for instance, your work in Nicaragua, much work being done in El Salvador, a lot of work also for you with, with Chile, and thinking about the ways in which so many of these activists were looking outward, thinking about a larger global politics. Yes, and you looked also at the women's work, that Juan Alicia's work, Esther Hernandez's work, I Patricia mean, <laughs> Rodriguez's work. Yeah, and, and it's incredible to have so many talented uh, women artists, Patricia Rodriguez, I mean, in her own right, and also as part of the Mujeres Moralistas, Graciela Carrillo, um, Esther Hernandez, who, you know, I see, like, in the history as sort of just appearing in the Mujeres Muralistas and then taking off on her own. Yolanda Lopez, who's radicalized through the Third World Strike and then creates her amazing sort of um, Virgin Guadalupe images. And, and so thinking about all of these very vital, strong, creative women artists that are also in this neighborhood and that have been giving the men a run for their money for a long time now. Well, it's much appreciated, or it certainly was by me, and how you brought these all together. When I got to the last page, well, first of all, let me say that the epilogue is called This Place is Love, and you certainly honored that in this book, and you certainly honored the ongoing struggle today. And then you also acknowledge forces of change. You don't present it in a static way that the neighborhood has to stay as it was forever, but it allows it to become part of that flow where one moment it's in North Beach and the other moment it's in the Mission District. And then you take us all the way to Oakland. And the reason you're in Oakland interviewing Rio Yanez is because he's been forced out of the mission because he's young and he can't afford it. And he's living in Oakland. And then you come to this beautiful passage. Maybe you should read it, starting perhaps this legacy. Let's see. Perhaps this legacy, more than anything, is the place of love and the heart of the mission. Whether or not the mission will continue to physically serve as the center of Latino life and culture, the impact of the mission lives on. And for the children who grew up knowing this neighborhood, they learned a social politics that will not be undone, no matter where they live. Thank you. You've been listening to my interview with writer Kari Cordova. Is there any last words you'd like to say? What a lovely turnaround that I first met you because I needed to interview you, Nina. And here we are, and you are interviewing me. And I, I just think that there, there's beautiful poetry in that. And I am always grateful for all the people that helped me along this way to create a book like this. Yes, this isn't just a book. It's a movement. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you, so you Carrie Gorthola. Bye. 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 Bye.
tu calorcito Ya tú no estás y yo me siento bien chiquitito Cae la noche, todo está oscurito Pero si tú me echas de tu luz Te voy a cansar bien rapidito You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. You've just heard some of Soltron. We are very lucky to have them in the house. We have a couple members of one of the most anticipated, up-and-coming, exciting bands coming out of the Bay. This is a band that everybody's talking about because they're truly feeling it. Soltron really represents what a lot of people were missing about the mission and music coming out of the Bay, which is soul and funk and energy. So I'm lucky to have in the studio with me, Akil Mastayer. We're also lucky to have with us, Daniel Riera. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Julieta. Yes, thank you. All right, so we've heard a little bit of your sound already. We got to hear a little bit off of Echame Luz, and that's the first track off your latest CD, which is a really fun, full, energetic, lively album. So why don't you both just tell us a little bit about this track and also just what Sol Tron's all about, because you all are musicians that, um, first of all, it's a lot of you all. People can probably hear it, but there's a lot of energy on stage when you all play. So why don't we just take a moment and just, why don't you two just tell us about the project? Tell us about Sol Tron. So Sol Tron evolved out of uh, this group of uh, three congueros that would get together and practice and learn the bata drums, the sacred drums of Cuba. And kind of the idea of the band, I think, was to combine this Cuban soul music, you could say, you know, it's the spiritual music and combine it with um, kind of American soul music like funk, which was a big influence, of course, on has been on Chicano music for a long time. And um, also merging it with hip hop, which is kind of like the sound of the barrio today. And um, just combining yeah. all these things that we loved and really responded to i was one of the three people that we we started meeting it was me akil <laughs> anthony sierra and remy spiral we come and play bata and stuff and so we had this idea we would come and play and talk about music and what we like and the way i think about the band is similar to what daniel said but it's like we take the music that we grew up listening to all this salsa and cumbia and Spanish music and we mixed it with all the music that we picked up listening with our friends and with each other like the hip hop and everything and that's what I think is really cool about the band it's like you were saying that's kind of a reflection of the mission it's like a big mix with like a little rice and bean gumbo. mixture gumbo yeah jambalaya so tell us who else is part of this jambalaya because it is a big mix and it's a it's a lot of different influences and it's you can see it in the diversity of who's on stage so tell us about who who do you get to see and who do you get to hear when you hear Soltron? So I guess we should start with the drummers because the whole band started with the drums. We have three percussionists in the band right now. We have Arturo Blanco on drum set. We have Akil Mestair on congas. And he also plays electronic sampler pads. And uh, we have Remy Spiro who plays timbales and also Chequere, Triangle, he adds a lot of flavor. And then uh, on out in front, we have Adriana Marrero, our vocalist. Uh, and we have Roque Barón, who's our uh, MC. And we have Manolo Davila on the guitar. Me, Daniel Riera, I play Iwi, which is a electronic wind instrument. It's kind of like a electric clarinet, but um, it... It can make a wide variety of different sounds. Uh, and we have three horn players. We have Ruben Sandoval on trombone. We have Christian Navarro on trumpet. And um, on the album, we had Noah Rosen on the saxophone, as well as Kai Lyons on bass. And Anthony Sierra also playing congas. 
So for folks who weren't doing the math, so this is just like a tremendous, <laughs> like, you know, we want to think like orchestra proportions in terms of sounds and mixtures of music. So it really transmits to people just dancing, feeling, and really vibing off the energy you all are putting out. So that first track, Echame Luz, Daniel, you're, you actually composed that track, so, and you arranged it too. So that track... Uh, kind of combine some of the things. So why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the things that influence or that can come through in a song like Echame Luz. Well, Echame Luz started as an idea, I think, with several of us in the band, uh, like Anthony Sierra, to cr create a song featuring the bata, which is the sacred Cuban drums, and putting it in a more modern setting and uh, trying to make a, a pop song out of it, out of it almost. So that's what we did. Um, it kind of blends the 6-8 feel, which is um, the Cuban thing, with um, kind of like a house feel almost. Uh, and um, the idea, Echame Luz, is like, give me light. So it's it's a spiritual song. Well, yeah, part of um, the like the, the beginning horn line, the little intro thing, is uh, kind of like a motif of a, a song, uh, Santeria, from the Santeria tradition or Orisha followers or whatever you would like to refer, which many of us are, or not many of us, but we study it or know about it or have interacted with it in various capacities in the band. It's a song for Oya, uh, which is like she's the uh, the goddess or deity of the wind. And so I think the whole message behind the song is supposed to be uplifting supposed to be positive and definitely the use of the the drums i think it adds a, a a really nice element because those are holy rhythms you know and so you, when we play the drums we're we're doing prayer and so to be able to put that onto the album and to be able to feature uh carlos aldama who is a local well now local he's from cuba he was a founder in the Conjunto Folklorico Nacional de Cuba. And he's a wealth of knowledge and for him to be able to come into the studio and put a little bit of flavor on our stuff right there and just give us that it was it was it was a gift. So it was it was a good it's a nice tune. It's, this is my favorite song actually on the album. We're talking to Soltron there in our studios. Now we have a couple folks that are telling us some of the stories behind these beautiful songs. And a lot of people have been excited about Soltron. A lot of people are seeing themselves in Soltron. And part of that is that most people, when they think of the mission, if they're not from the Bay, which unfortunately now is most of the people here, it feels like, <laughs> um, there, you know, there are people that are like, oh, the mission district, good taquerias, lots of Mexican people. And that's their, their vision where they don't truly see the full history of the mission, which really isn't Mexican. It's more Central American. But also even within that, there's been a ton of mixture and folks from all over, which brings us to our next song that we want to feature off your latest your this debut album it's a, it's the first Soltron album so if you look it up you're not going to get confused it's Soltron you're mm -hmm. not going to get the wrong one you're going to get the right one if you just look up Soltron you'll get the right album there and it's Arroz con Gandules and that's a everyone's gonna be like what Puerto Ricans in the mission there are no Puerto Ricans in the bay well you know as we know we have two we used to have two Puerto Ricans working on this show you know we have a bunch of Puerto Ricans here in the bay that are you know of course they're not as big as our Central American brothers and sisters and Mexican brothers and sisters but um, in terms of population but of course the bay has a huge mixture and growing up in the mission growing up in San Francisco you meet people every day that are half Guatemalan, half Puerto Rican, or half, half Puerto Rican, half African-American, half, you know, having all these mixtures. So tell us a little bit about this song, and because the, the Caribbean really just, you hear it in the music. Um, you really hear the, as you mentioned, the Yoruba traditions really come through. You know, we know that, of course, most Latin American music has its deep, deep African influences and indigenous inf influences. So talk to us about the vibe. I mean, I was going to say, to start off, we have like, six people or something like that in the band that yeah. are Puerto Rican or yeah, my, that, that'll do it. My, um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, my father is half Puerto Rican and half Cuban and my mother is Mexican. So, you know, that's kind of like a combination that could only exist in the mission, right? And yeah, several others Anthony, in the band are Anthony Sierra, our conguero on the CD. 
uh, is from uh, his family is he's, he's Cuban, Puerto Rican he, and, and Cuban. Cuban. Yeah. yeah. Then uh, Roque Baron, the MC, he's Chilean and Puerto Rican. Yeah. And his parents <laughs> met in the mission, uh, just like Anthony's parents. And then uh, Adriana Marrero is actually Puerto Rican from the island. Yeah. She moved to the United States when she was 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. And then Manolo, he's 100% Puerto Rican, but born in the United States. And. Uh, yeah, he grew up right in the heart of Mission on 24th Street. So he's, you know, he's Puerto Rican Mission. And then Chris Navarro, the trumpet player, he's, uh, he's, uh, his family owns that gym. They're the Navarro's gym, the famous Navarro's gym on Cortland and Mission. Yep. But anyways, uh, he's Salvadorian, Puerto Rican. So we and got, we got the connection. And, and Akil, you're Central American as well? Yeah, I'm Nicaraguan and Salvadorian. See, that's the thing. I think that what's so great about Soltron is that sometimes we're forced in, you know, in music, you're forced to choose a genre. You're supposed to choose, okay, well, what are we trying to be? Are we trying to do a Mexican song? Are we trying to do this? Are we trying to play to our Central American fans and, you know, do a song that people are going to speak, speak to folks in Nicaragua? And that's just ridiculous because clearly we all have the, such a big mixture and as well as, you know, all of the influences within the Americas, but that you hear all that. All the all the mixing that happens to make you know Soltron a possibility, um, you hear it in the CD. So uh, I was gonna say the other thing about arroz con gandul is not about just the mix of everything, but a lot of family is across Latin America. Is they you eat rice and beans as a staple dish. Mm-hmm. That's what we say, like all of our shows. So whether you call it con or uh, you know, y cristianos. Yeah, or gallo pinto, or casamiento, or arroz con gandul is the same thing. You know, that's what you eat to survive. When you don't got much else, you can always make rice and beans. And so that's the other message behind the song is, you know, we're out here surviving. I hear surviving, but I think the other flip on it is that, you know, you could be eating other things, but actually rice and beans is super healthy and it, <laughs> it, it yeah. nurtures us. And it's actually going back to our rice and beans and loving our arroz con frijoles. Exactly. Like that's actually giving us a lot of strength. And you all are honoring a lot of the traditions and a lot of the roots of the music by really lifting it up as opposed to just, you know, flipping it around. I think you all are creating space to actually name and honor that so you can hear a lot of that in Soltron so now we're gonna hear that track Arroz con Gandules back here with Soltron. You've been hearing some beautiful music, but along with the music, I'm sure you all are energized by the resistance that comes through through this music. As we know, culture is a weapon, culture is resistance. So just being uh, Soltron is a, a weapon to fight against injustice. So that's a beautiful thing. But along with that, um, a lot of your tracks really highlight some of the issues that people are facing that group in the mission, that people are facing that group in San Francisco or Oakland or so many cities where people feel pushed out. They feel marginalized. They feel made invisible. They feel like they're treated like strangers in their own town. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about this song, I Live Where You Vacation, which unfortunately is too close to home. It hits too close to home. A lot of us, we're living in the Airbnb world, uh, post-Airbnb world, where probably in San Francisco, it's more likely that you'll run into tourists on the street, you know, often, um, than you'll run into your neighbors. So so tell us a little bit about, just in general, how really the fight for the soul of the mission, the fight for preserving and maintaining 
the community and the cultural centers like for example mission cultural center has played a big part in sortron other important spots in the mission and other important spaces where people create music and create are are really key to sortron so tell us about how that fight to preserve and maintain and really honor you know all the richness that has led to musical groups like you all but also so 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 much more how that's been an integral part of of the group because you all don't shy away from really claiming owning and also calling to preserve and support people that are just fighting 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 to be able to stay in their homes well i live where you vacation uh was written by our singer adriana marrero and uh, it's actually more about puerto rico she wrote it about um puerto rico where she's from and uh it's about the experience of um her being in puerto rico and um seeing people come and go as tourists, but just kind of gloating, basically, saying, you may come just uh, and see the only the surface of this, but we live here and we really know what's up. Yeah, she, uh, she got it from a, a hashtag that her friend put up on a picture on a beach in Puerto Rico, one of her friends that still lives there, and it, it said, hashtag, I live where you vacation. And uh, Adriana, she says she loved that. And she was like, yeah, totally. Like, And so the, if you listen to the lyrics, it's all about, they're about Puerto Rico. Roque's verse on this song is pretty dope. It calls out a lot of stuff and talks about Puerto Rico in a cool way, in a very Puerto Rican way. He's speaking English and Spanish. But uh, what's cool about the song is like it's double meaning. It, it applies to Puerto Rico, but then it applies to the city as well. Because, you know, I've never been to Puerto Rico. I'm not Puerto Rican, but... I'm from the city, and that's the same exact thing. Like you said, you're more likely to find tourists on the street than your neighbors. Yeah. But I live here, you know. <laughs> and musically, it's a mixture of a, of a cumbia and a reggaeton song, which is kind of like the Bay and Puerto Rico, right? Yeah, totally. So something that here in the Bay we cannot be mad about is the richness of music and that sometimes in some places people have to choose. They have to choose lyric substance, people that they identify with, people that really speak their values or strong, strong music talent. You know, they have to choose strong music. And so Tron, you all really come through with both. So tell us a little bit about what a big role that is, because I feel like you know, when I see you all play, like no one's sitting, everyone's dancing, people are really just enjoying the music They're Although they are really, you know, they're believers in all the work that you all are doing. They're on the same page, you know, and all this, they're still, um, you know, they're, they're enjoying, they're just, you know, they're just celebrating, you know, they're just celebrating and, you know, feeling, feeling joy. So um, I really feel that, especially in this track, Stand Up, which is really, it's one that I think gets a lot of people super energized. So why don't you all talk to a little bit about um, just the the vibe, the vibe that you all mm. are so committed to bringing, and the energy that you all are so committed to bringing. You know, there's dancing on stage. You'll have little routines. It's real cute. Um, so tell us about the energy that you all put out and how that transmits to what you hope to create with the with the whole experience of seeing you all live. Soultron, we're a product of the amazing cultural arts traditions and institutions of the Bay Area. Things like Mission Cultural Center, Latin Jazz Youth Ensemble, yeah. Loco Bloco, yeah. uh, School of the Arts. Yeah. Almost uh, many of us went to San Francisco School of the Arts, same high school. So, um, John Calloway. John Calloway. He's taught basically all of us. Yeah. Minus a couple of us. So, yeah, the, the jazz influence runs deep too. You know, the tradition of playing horns and and all that stuff playing the drums coming from all these various drumming schools, Carnaval, that happens in in San Francisco. So I feel like we all grew up thinking that Latin music, our music was cool. You know, we were excited to be in Carnaval and play drums and, and to learn about our culture. So that's, we just want to share that, you know, that's, that's kind of informs everything we do. Yeah. And also, like you're saying in the performance, aspect of it when i come to a show and i think everybody at the mm -hmm. band like we we say our goal is to make the people dance you know what i mean like uh and to get the people moving 
And in order for that to happen, we got to be feeling it. Yeah. And so it's about moving energy, moving energy. Exactly. Like, you know, like we were talking about Bata earlier, thinking of drums as this, as a, a, a bring, it's something that unifies people. It brings people together in many traditions, native indigenous traditions across the world. It's a sacred thing. And so it's like, we try to hone in on the, 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 the spiritual side of music and what it can do and, and bring some healing music, you know, to the times that right now we got Trump era, Aleppo being totally killed. We got all this stuff happening, people being gunned down in in our own country, and that's that's the all the stuff we're thinking about: positivity, bringing love, bringing healing. And I think that the song "Stand Up" really kind of captures that vibe because it was written at a time when the mission, many homes in the mission, were going up in flames. People are getting evicted, still are. Our singer and guitarist Manolo, we used to rehearse every week at his house, which was this uh, amazing community activist artist co-op house on Bernal Hill called the Thug Mansion. And it really was a mansion because it had a like a million-dollar view of all of the mission and downtown SF skyscrapers in the distance. And um, so we used to rehearse there every week, and that house is now being evicted due to um, this guy, Shelly True, who's a realtor at uh, Vanguard Realty, and uh, is... He's a, it's like kind of like elder abuse. It's an elder abuse type of situation with the... With the land. Yeah, he's trying to pressure the, the owner, who her and her brother built that house. He... Her brother built that house with his hands. He's getting now he's pressuring her to sell it and in a way through his uh, co in a way kinda coerced her to sign a paper she didn't know she through was signing. Obscure contracts that she he got her to sign. Yeah. But anyways, all that to say is that the gentrification is real strong in the city and it I mean it's hitting our band right in the heart of me. That's our guitar player, that's where we were born. The Soltron was born there. You know, and that that home is at risk so that that's so kind that, of the that, thing about the I song. think the residents are still fighting it though they're not out yeah. yet oh. yeah we played uh it was cool we had the kids play with us the, we had Manolo a lot of the people in the band they work with youth um but Manolo he teaches kids music and this was in the summer and so he had all of his kids from the summer camp he they all made drums out of uh old water cooler things and they painted them with different things, and then they strapped them on and did a little march and then met us. And he led them, while he was playing the guitar, he led them to play the drums like a big, like a a drum corps playing with the band stand up. And they're all kids like 10 and younger. And it was f- right in front of Vanguard. It was freaking, aw- <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it was really cool. But that kind of captures what the song's about, what the band, like, that's what we, we're about, community stuff like that. So you um, have had an intense 2016. Um, You really stood up um, in many ways. Also, you're part of one of the hunger strikers here at SF State. I was teaching SF State this semester that um, you, along with three of your colleagues, comrades, fellow students, um, and many, many, many others that were supporting you. It was a huge effort. It was many, many people that came together to make this a reality. But that really seems the SF hunger strike, which was to save ethnic studies and expand the ethnic studies department, which was under attack and is under attack and continues to need folks to stand up for it. 
um, that's that's something that really connects to all the work that you're doing here around uh, fighting against gentrification. So um, with the song Stand Up, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what your spring was like? Your 2016 mm. was pretty crazy and how that connects to Stand Up, the song. Yeah, well, so uh, I participated in a hunger strike at my school. It was to, uh, the, the president was going to cut the budget for the College of Ethnic Studies. It's the only college of ethnic studies in, I think, the world and definitely the country. And um, he was going to cut the budget in half. And so, yeah, a lot of stuff was happening. Protests were happening and whatnot. But they were not really um, showing any signs of changing their mind or changing anything. So we did a hunger strike and we were able to get restore funding that hadn't been there in over 10 years. So we, we got more money than we'd had in a long time. Ethnic studies, basically you're teaching culture, different cultures and stuff in a, and why it's so important is that in our society, we only learn one. What's so cool about Soltron is in a way, I'm not really. I'm really not trying to toot my own horn, but it's like uh, ethnic studies or whatever in in life in real time. We are creating culture, you know. We're by defending the past, we're creating stuff for the future. We're 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 trying to make something that's reflection of what's happening now. Mm-hmm. That's what's cool about our band and having this CD is now as a time capsule, and in a way we're reflecting we're acting as transmitters of what's going on and and, and putting that out there. And that's what ethnic studies is about. It's about talking about the problems that face in the community and how do we get together to heal ourselves about that and to to take a stand to that. And so the band, we we do this musically and that's that's just, that's our weapon in a way. You know, if you look at the cover, it's Soltron. This is like the primera forma, the Soltron. And He's this big robot made of all these instruments, and uh, he's the uh, he's a, a a defender of the universe. That's what we thought we talk about, and actually we wrote a whole comic book about it. But that's the whole point. It's like he's defending, you know. Yeah, the comic book was based on an idea I had that I felt like CDs are almost becoming dated now. Like a lot of uh, young people don't even have CD players anymore. Computers don't have CD players anymore. So uh, I wanted to create something that was a physical, tangible objet d'art. And um, so I thought of a comic book that would have a download code for the music inside. And uh, the comic book was written by myself, Manolo Davila, Anthony Sierra. And uh, it was illustrated by Camille Mai, who's a fantastic local musician in her own right and illustrator who uh, attended the California College of the Arts. And um, so she did a fantastic job um, illustrating. Kind of, It kind of follows Anthony Sierra, our conguero, and it follows him in this kind of like dystopian San Francisco, kind of like a gentrification to the max. And um, him by him discovering the drums he's able to step into another dimension yeah and then in the other dimension well i don't know it's cool we all cross paths it's hella cool (laughs) it's like some uh it's really cool you guys should buy it and read it for yourself you're supporting local artists and uh we have a website also so if you guys want to check us out our website is soltronsf.com we have a facebook uh, facebook.com forward slash Soltron SF. Uh, we have Instagram also called Soltron SF. And you can stream our uh, album on iTunes. It's for sale. Or if you have Apple Music, you can stream it. Spotify and Bandcamp. Bandcamp. Yeah. So if you want to actually support us the most, uh, we get the biggest cut from Bandcamp. Yeah. So go there and... Um, or you can just type in soltron.bandcamp.com and you can download the album. 
And so more about this album. So for people listening, they've heard this and they're like, oh, those tracks sound so clean. Like everything sounds so great. And like just the arrangements and you all really took this to another level. So for folks that are listening, you know, we have this album was produced by Greg Landau, who, of course, our listeners know and love, who has dedicated his whole life to really highlighting that musical diaspora like he focuses on highlighting lifting up afro-latino music and that's something that really is aligned with the work that you all do you all can get the comic you can download the music or you can i'm looking at the cd right now um i still play cds so um (laughs) so tell us about the whole process well um writing these seven tunes seven original songs it took about a year i think of workshopping it because uh most of what we did was done collectively a lot of the arrangements we came up with in rehearsal with feedback from everybody so greg landau we approached to record the album a number of us are connected to him either through family or through work so um we we approached him and we were honored to have him uh want to produce us we did a kickstarter to raise money for that album we set a goal of uh, 10,000, 10, yeah, and we ended up getting 12. It was awesome. The community totally, this this uh, album is, uh, you know, we, we're on there, but it wouldn't have happened without so much community effort behind us. Uh, I know, like, a lot of people, like we talk about on the album, it's gentrification, there's a lot of economic stuff going on, mm-hmm. but everyone gives a little bit, and it made this happen. You know, Greg worked with us. And that was a big deal, and he was able to help us through his networks mm-hmm. and um, just the support from our families and from our mentors throughout the process has been a very beautiful experience. It's a blessing, I think, for all of us in the band to ha- be a part of this. Yeah. And I think something also important to add is that Greg himself, you know, people know him as a musician for Mission High. Like, they know him as, like, a mission you know, someone who grew up in the mission, his his rock, his soul music, his music that, you know, took over Nicaragua that had so much love and respect there. You know, like he his heart, I think, is very much aligned with musically with Soltron. So after talking to him, I've talked to him a lot about you all. And, you know, he definitely felt the love. So it's it's nice to have it be not a group, you know, in New York that, you know, maybe was disconnected, but it really was someone who who loves the mission. Yeah. You yeah, know, we we were we were even a little afraid at first of like, oh, we're gonna bring in this producer. What does this mean? Is this gonna change our sound? But all he ever did was just challenge us to be the most true to ourselves and really focus in on what made our sound great. You know. But I think he does it out of love. Yeah. Being like you know, he's from the mission. He he was a a big part of all that stuff that that laid all the musical cultural stuff happening in the 60s 70s 80s 90s leading up to now and so he had to put his stamp on that thing exactly but then because of that i feel in a way he's like passing a torch onto us to continue what he what they were doing so we've been talking to Soltron mm-hmm. there uh, in our studio. We've had the pleasure to have Akil Mastere in the house. We've also had Daniel Riera, and they are repping the wonderful band that is Soltron that involves a lot of horn players, a, involves a lot of percussion, involves a lot of great vocals, and you all can hear them, experience them. You, we've been playing them all show, and you can hear them and sp- experience them on their website as well and get with some of their wonderful music. Muchísimas gracias a ustedes dos for being with us. We really appreciate your time, and we look forward to hearing more from Soltron. Thank gracias, you. Julieta. Yeah, thank you for having us.
business, a world with a mission, money versus tradition, stand up. And we still here, me and my tribe, trying to thrive, while outside two worlds collide. Stand up, against the threat of big business, a world with a mission, money versus tradition, stand up. Calling out gentrification, we dealing with the situation. Postmodern colonization, local families they displacing. We still paper chasing while paying the rent. Not making sense playing a game that we didn't invent. Dollars and cents, a real world game of chess. We in so deep you can feel the stress. Real estate investors don't care about where they live, trying to kick them out their homes while they're trying to feed their kids. Getting rid of a culture that's been steep for years, and I can see the plan, man. They wanna see it disappear, but while I'm here, I'm gonna make it happen. Take some action. just heard an interview with Soltron. You can catch them live, which we definitely recommend. They'll be playing this upcoming Saturday, the 26th of August, between 12 and 5 at the 826-day block party, co-hosted by Different First Studio. And they'll be one of the many bands that'll be at that community block party, and it's open to all. They'll also be playing at the Elbow Room with Bay Area band Locura on September 17th. So we recommend people get tickets and check them out at both those wonderful shows. Muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros. Thank you for listening. If you have any show ideas or events that you think that we should announce, please email them to us at lajazachronicles at kpfa.org. You can also stay up on our news by liking us on Facebook at La Raza Chronicles on Facebook. And you can listen to us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Chronicles. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches.